episode of the V-Auto podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson, a director here at V-Auto and your host for today's episode. Now, some of you listeners may remember V-Auto podcast episode 2, which aired in May of 2019. We titled that episode, Rethinking Your Reconditioning, and my guest was Mike Boyd, founder of iRecon. And Mike shared his insights and perspective on some of the steps that dealers, and more specifically, their used vehicle managers and service directors, might take to make reconditioning more efficient and profit productive for their dealerships. During that episode, we only touched on a topic which we might even call a debate that often happens at dealerships when leaders are fed up with the amount of time it takes to recondition vehicles and get them ready for the front line. And to discuss that debate, I've asked Mike Boyd to join us again, and we're going to address the question of should you handle reconditioning internally or externally, and which might be better for you? Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me back, Lance. Mike, now I understand you've been on the road a little bit lately. Any highlight spots you might want to share? Yeah, actually, I have been been traveling a lot. Let's see, the last two weeks, I've been on the road about 11 of those days flying out, so I'm definitely racking up the uh, frequent flyer miles. But it's great, you know, since uh, Viato, you know, purchased iRecon, you know, it's really opened us up to uh, a lot of dealers all across the nation. So as we're installing, you know, I definitely want to try to touch base with those dealers and and those dealer groups to not only, you know, make sure it's a smooth transition, right, because we're really – introducing something new, really patterning that process and perfecting it, so to speak, but also to make sure that we're listening. You know, hey, you know, what are some other pains you're having? What are some things that not only can we address now, but also, you know, keep top of mind as we mature the product and also integrate across, you know, a lot of different products that the company has. You know, I'm curious, Mike, in those conversations, to what degree is this idea of internal versus external debate happening as as you visit those stores? And maybe what's the nature of the conversations if they exist? Yeah, actually, it's it's very top of mind. You know, I have dealers. um, it, It seems like, you know, I get a lot of the same questions, which is normal because we all do the same thing, right, just to a greater or lesser degree. But the question is, you know, what's the right number of vendors? You know, how much should we try to keep in-house? You know, how much should we outsource to outside companies? And, you know, it's really, it's dependent a lot upon the dealership. You know, brand does make a difference because depending on your brand and your OEM affiliation, you know, what type of certification plans you have or programs, but a lot of it's just physical footprints, right? Mm. You know, there's a lot of stores that are landlocked. You know, they have to, you know, maximize every square inch. So really from that aspect, you know, the first thing I say is, you know, what is the goal? You know, what are we currently doing? You know, how many are we selling? You know, what is the actual goal? What is our plan to achieve it? And then what are our reconditioning needs, right? Because that's what's going to drive your plan, right, and how you execute on it. So then based off of their footprint, you know, if if there is the opportunity to bring some steps in-house, you know, and we can, and if we can do it profitably, right? That's the other thing. You know, if you could run every piece of your reconditioning, whether it's from detail to touch up, you know, obviously dealerships are doing service in house for the most part. Yep. But if you can bring a lot of that in house efficiently, right, and profitably, that means that adding that manpower, 
you know, in that oversight, the managers that go with it and management goes with it, then it is a great idea, right? Because you're just controlling one more of the piece. But generally, I see that uh, stores really need to do a mixture, right? Try to uh, maximize what they can do at the store level, you know, maybe do the detail if they can handle it, but also have outside vendors or at least access to the right amount of outside vendors Mm -hmm. so that way as they get into the heat of battle and things start to heat up right we're heading in the summer and we really start to take in a lot of trades and we're really starting to pick up some purchases that we don't slow down because we're trying to just feed our in-house right Mm -hmm. which is a uh I, i see dealerships fall into that trap you know they're so concerned with losing money that they're forcing the loss of money right they're just holding those cars for their own people to get hold up you know to get done and they lose sight that that car is depreciating every day so just to go back where i definitely understand there's two pieces it seems to me one is any dealer or most dealers it seems would have some work for which they just don't have the talent today and maybe it's detailing maybe it's some of the finer things upholstery windows things like that but at what point in terms of, say, sales volume, and from what you've seen, Mike, might it make sense if, if in fact, getting that work done is so problematic that maybe they're losing money, they could perhaps even consider the point of bringing it in-house and bringing that talent on board? I don't know if there's an exact number because there's so many variables, really, that go into it. The first step is identifying and saying, hey, look, we have a problem, right? I mean, if you ask most dealers, they're like, yes, we have a problem with reconditioning. Mm-hmm. We don't know where our cars are at. We don't know what's going on. But just saying you have a problem and really acknowledging it and saying, okay, we need to do something about it. Because once you start to, uh, you know, for instance, use a software like iRecon and start to say, okay, here's where the actual problems lie. Now you can go at it and say, okay, if we know that detail is a very real pinch point, that is a very real problem to getting our cars frontline ready faster. And you know what? We do have some availability of either internal employees or hiring additional employees. And we have the additional oversight, right? Because you can't just hire people. You have to have space. It takes equipment. It takes material. These are all things you have to figure into, right, at any business plan. Then, yeah, that, that is a viable option. I've always been a little bit more proactive on using other people's time, Mm. you know, rather than adding more to my to-do list. If I can uh, get connected with a uh, good verified vendor, somebody who, you know, has a track record, puts out good product, and I can purchase their time and let them deal with the manpower issues or the headaches of, you know, overhead, and just pay them on a per-piece basis and become a partner with them, I've had great success with that. Was right? that, was that but, how you did that at the uh, Lexus store when you were sales director? Was that your approach? Yeah, we actually did a mixture of both. So we had some detail inside. We also did uh, retail customer details, which, of course, would take precedence, even though, of course, you know, internally we would pay a retail amount, if not more, mm-hmm. for those same services. You know, you want to make sure you take care of those actual true retail customers. But we never lost sight that even though we were trying to fill up those bays when there was capacity, right, when there was downtime, we didn't hold cars in reserve just for internal, right? We were like, hey, look, here's the thing. We're going to fit you in. We're absolutely going to feed our own family first, but 
at the end of the day, you have to feed the beast, right? I have to get my cars. It's a ticking time bomb. I've got to get them retail ready, and I can't slow my process down thinking I'm going to make you know, X amount of dollars when I'm, in reality I'm losing money on holding costs, and that car is not frontline ready when the customer comes to see it. So did you have a dedicated team to maybe handle some of the actual service type work? Or are you speaking more just about the detailing there, that that's, that's kind of the well, piece? Yeah, that was actually the detail part. So of okay. course in service, we did have a dedicated team. And one of the things we found really quick was even though we knew we had a problem, because remember I created this software for my own use at my own dealership. Mm-hmm. It was out of that perspective that started iRecon Cars, which is now iRecon. But even with our own dedicated service team, we just weren't getting it done. What we thought we were doing, which we thought was slow, was in reality much, much slower. So once we you know, opened up the software and really started looking at it, and then I started working with the uh, service director, and the reality was we had a huge facility with a lot of very talented and trained technicians mm-hmm. that have downtime, right? The reality is they're not turning a wrench you know, as often as they could be. So whether it was, hey, we have an hour here, we have a couple hours here, you know, rather than have those technicians that were just for customer pay, okay. now because we could see what cars were in queue and waiting for service, mm-hmm. when our internal service people who were dedicated just to pre-owned, when they were at max capacity and we had cars waiting, we would then just reshuffle the deck and send them out to those empty bays. So not only were we able to get our cars through faster, but we we're also offsetting the downtime for our own retail technicians. So, so the win win. Well, it sounds like it. Now, did you pay those retail techs the same amount they might have made had they had a retail customer? Oh, absolutely. But that was no different. So those same technicians that we had as a dedicated team for our pre-owned operation yep, yep. were getting the same thing that those other technicians were getting. Because at most dealerships, it's not at a savings that you're reconditioning or servicing the cars, you are a retail customer for the dealership. And that's good. I do not have a problem with that because, again, you know, in my perspective, I owe them a certain amount. They owe me a certain amount. If I'm paying regular rate, then I have certain rights, right, to expect them to be courteous, expect them to do a good job, expect them to deliver on what they say they're going to, just like they expect me to keep the pipeline filled with fresh trades or acquisitions mm-hmm. to keep that money turning, right? Because we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. We all have to work together. And, and I guess also one last quick point on the tax. I mean, if, if you're a, a flat rate shop, then that work means they make more money in what would have otherwise been downtime. Well, the other part is that uh, the cars that they're seeing from the used car operation, a majority of the time, were our own brand. So these are cars that yeah, you know, we're more very familiar with. We already have parts in place, right? So it's yeah. a very quick turnaround. And then also, when you're dealing with your own pre-owned operation, um, if you have a good level of communication, you do not have to wait long for the OKs for work. It may take longer on most cases to you know get that OK from the customer, the actual true retail customer, right. Right. of whether or not they want to do the work. For us, it's all about time. Right. Let's get it in there. We already have an idea what it needs. Yeah, there's going to be some blips and some, you know, a little bit different charges than what I was expecting. But at the end of the day, let's get it done. Let's move on and let's get the next car through. 
So what you're, I guess to go back to the central question of our podcast, Mike, it almost sounds like it's not an either or of whether you do it internally or externally. It's really you've got to find your, your middle ground. Exactly. What works best for your store. And that's really what it is. It's optimizing, right? Just like Dale talks about, you know, it's time to actually make money on cars. Start thinking about, hey, is it a profitable investment? Well, where's that start? You have to get that raw product through the process. So those people that you depend upon, you have to start looking at them as profit centers. You know, I don't look at a detail as a hundred or hundred fifty dollar expense. I look at it as it's making me a hundred or fifty dollars more than I paid. So now it's just a matter of maintaining that relationship, make sure everybody's on the same page that, you know, we need to get the car in, we need to get it done, we need to make sure the quality is there, but rinse and repeat. Get mm-hmm. that going. And that goes whether it's service, paint repair, it just doesn't matter. It's all the same. We're all interconnected. So for the, the dealers, I'm just curious, for every 10 dealers that might sign up for iRecon, how many of them today have what you described, which is a dedicated team? Maybe that kind of that mixed model where a tech may see a retail customer part of the day and a little bit of time on you know, internal work or just a, a team that that's all they do is, is your used cars. I'm just kind of curious where that trend is these days. Yeah, so most of the dealerships we engage with, at least initially, have a dedicated technician or a few, depending on the size of their operation. Okay. Yeah. And then when we start talking to them and then really start exposing some of the numbers, what their true cost of getting a car through service, you know, just using that as an example, and then start showing, hey, how they can open that up, to the other technicians and their, you know, the rest of their floor, it's almost like an aha moment where like, yeah, I guess that really does make sense, right? So it's really optimizing what you currently have. That, that's that's Absolutely. the first step. Interesting. Okay, okay. Yeah, I hate to look at any operation and just say, hey, do this. The first thing I want to do is max out my own capacity at my store, right? Operate as efficiently as possible, see where my problems are, and then say, okay, now, regardless of what that outcome is, based off of what we're dealing with, the number of people we have, circumstances, footprint, all those different factors, now we have an opportunity either by adding more people internally or do we need to outsource and use somebody else's time because it's a better use, right? Mm-hmm. I'd rather use if – if their time, I can buy their time for less than what I'm going to get out of it, then by all means, I'm going to outsource some work. Yep. Keep that thing running. I gotcha. But that, that, that does help, too. It, it seems to me that as, as dealers kind of think about efficiency, even those who who have a, a dedicated team, it sounds like they're kind of wearing the same shoes you were back at the Lexus store, which that wasn't quite good enough. And there's got to be a way to optimize that moving ahead. Yeah, the big thing is communication. You know, that's the first part at any store, any brand. It just doesn't matter is that there's a lot of disconnect, you know, in the mm-hmm. recondition because there's so many different pieces, right? And there's so many different pieces of the puzzle and there's different personas involved and there's different mindsets. And not, not always does everybody really understand that we're working together, you know, that we're interdependent. Mm-hmm. So I always like to start with, hey, let's start off with what the job to be done is, how do you fit into it, how you actually impact the overall process, and let's how, how can we work together more efficiently? Is there a breakdown in communication? And generally, that's the biggest game, right? Right off the rip is saying, hey, now that you understand what I need done, now you understand why we're doing it, 
Now, if you do your job, I expect you to hold me accountable to do my job, and we're all going to come in for the win because mm-hmm. we're on a team together. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, I'm tracking. Let me let me go back to something you mentioned. It seems like when when you were at the the Lexus store, Mike, you were blessed in a way, and 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 by that I mean you know you found opportunity on the the shop floor to help you become more efficient by tapping into the downtime. And, and part of what made that possible was you were working on, or that those techs were working on Lexuses, that, you know, you're, you were selling a fair chunk of the inventory that was Lexus. But that might not be the case, you know, for a different type of dealer, maybe more of a volume uh, store or something. So I, I guess I'm curious how, when, when let's say it's maybe more of a 50-50 brand mix, you know, between the franchise of the store and, and what else the dealer feels is uh, sellable in the market, how do you uh, manage that parts issue where perhaps it's not the stuff that your OEM sends you? Sure. So obviously that's a concern, right? You know, you have to look at your techs and what they can do and what they do not familiar with or not that familiar with working on. So, again, if you're patterning out what you're doing and you're tracking it, right, mm-hmm. and you say, hey, we put a car in, we do an initial inspection, and, hey, I do not have this, well, if you're tracking it and you're looking at a program to help you monitor those different steps, then it's a lot easier to reorder, maybe put that car into another stage of reconditioning, regardless of what it is, while that car is you know, while that car is being worked on there, the parts are coming in, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people tend to think very linear, right? Like you should do this, then do this, then do this, and it's the exact same thing every single time. Well, Great. You know, a lot of the time, the majority of the time, that probably is going to work that way, and that's great. I don't have a problem with that. But the reality is things are in flux. I do not want a car sitting there doing nothing other than costing me money right. if I can have it out of detail while it's waiting for parts. Or I can have you know the picture person coming and looking at the car while it's waiting for parts because the car's already been detailed. Yep. So I have no problem reordering those steps. The one thing I can guarantee, and I tell every dealer once we sign them up, is that regardless of what process you use or what steps you do things in, it will become apparent very fast how you can move things around to optimize that. But you need to have that flexibility and be that open-minded person to say, you know what, yeah, service isn't, I'm just using service as an example, isn't on an island by itself where I just put the cars there and I have to boat them off. Put them there, get them to do what they can do, but if there's going to be downtime, let's see if we can reshuffle the deck and get another value-added service done, like touch-up interior work or whatever, so that way it's not truly downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what flashed through my mind when you were describing that, Mike, is, is making puzzles um, where, you know, sometimes you might sort of hit a wall, but then you get a couple pieces and, you're, and you start going. And it sounds like that's kind of like what it's like, you know, when when dealers go down that that path. I have I have one uh, final question. It's a little off the 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 topic, but I thought I would throw it at you since we have a minute or two. And I remember reading Mike uh, maybe two or three months back in Automotive News about a dealer that was tired of the reconditioning tension in the store, was tired of getting stitched up in service the service department not moving fast enough or not feeling like they were making enough money to move faster. And the the solution was a flat fee for recon. 
uh, 700 bucks a car I think was the number and the used car department paid that on every car and in the cases where it took less to recon the, the unit the service department kept the difference if it took more the service department made it up and the dealer says you know that that's that's helped reduce some friction and get through cars quicker and and I know that part of the work you do with iRecon is staying focused on true cost of recon and making sure that that's a very transparent number but I'm curious what you think of this this approach that seven hundred dollar per car flat fee or, or some other number in that fashion yeah, no, I've absolutely heard of it. I mean, I've been in the automotive industry 25 years, and 25 years ago when I got in the business, I've heard of stores doing that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I still hear of stores doing it now. What I really hear when somebody tells me that is that they are fed up, that they just haven't figured out a way to track it, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're tr- and the friction always comes in because it's a lack of communication, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody is really being held accountable, so they just say, you know what, if I just pack it X amount, then one, I just don't have to listen to people have problems. I personally do not like that idea because, you know, I, I want to see. Not only do I want to see what we're truly spending versus what we forecasted when we either purchased that car or took it in trade. Right. Because that really affects our acquisition, right? Are we putting enough car in, or enough money in trade-ins? Mm-hmm. Are we appraising correctly? Um, there's a lot of different factors that that data will give you if you're actually tracking it. Are we spending too much in service? Are we not spending enough? If we're just using a round number and averaging, it just covers up so much sin that can never be corrected. Yep, there's no incentive to even look deeper. I, I hear you. Right. I hear you. So I would much rather have them you know, get onto a process, start tracking it, start having regular reconditioning meetings, and say, hey, rather than just averaging out, let's deal with real numbers. You know, what does it cost us to put a car through our shop? And each store is going to be a little bit different. But again, the friction is because we haven't really been working together. Service is on their own, sales is on their own, and we'll just meet together and yell every once in a while. <laughs> whereas, whereas if you're actually using a program and a process, just like we saw at my Lexus store, was that we actually, me and the service director, got together and the exact words from the service director was I had no idea there was so much work yeah yeah and she was and Cindy Lentz was her name wonderful lady and she was like I could absolutely use this extra time to fill base and I was like thank you that would help me too yeah and it was like that moment when I was like this is really working right because there was no argument it was like hey look I need I want to spend money and guess what your store wants to make it Yep, yep. That's a great closing point, Mike. Thank you for taking the time to share your perspective. Would it be safe to say we could do this again sometime soon? Oh, absolutely. You know, I really enjoy it, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk to you again, Lance. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Mike, and thanks to all our listeners here to the V-Auto Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again. Take care and stay well. (music) 